everyone. Welcome to Borderless Sustainability, where we explore the diverse relationship between people, planet, and profit, discover how language, geography, and culture impact sustainability, and ultimately aim to create change through knowledge. My name is Elisa Rivera. And my name is Miguel Fraga. In today's episode, we will be talking to Harley Blakeman about a fair chance employment platform. Honest Jobs is focused on helping people with criminal records find employment, bridging the gap between formerly incarcerated job candidates and fair chance employers. Welcome, Harley. It's a pleasure to meet you virtually, of course. Um, it's some, This episode's an episode that I've truly been looking forward to. It's a topic that I, I really... It's significant in my life and I know in many other people's lives. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk with Miguel and I today. I'll go ahead and let you introduce yourself. Uh, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm excited to talk with both of you about this topic. Uh, my name is Harley Blakeman. I'm the founder and CEO of Honest Jobs. We are a national fair chance employment platform and we work with over 350 companies nationwide, helping them connect with uh qualified job candidates who can kind of fit within their policy so that every company can still contribute to helping people impacted by the criminal justice system in their small way. Sometimes that's bigger, sometimes it's smaller. Um, and yeah, I grew up in Florida, moved to Ohio, went to school, struggled to find a job uh, with a criminal record uh, from when I was 18. And that inspired me to start this. And it's been an amazing journey. I've learned a lot about a lot of people and the challenges on both sides of the employment interview, I would say that this, the struggles that people face looking for a job, as well as the struggles that HR is facing to make hard decisions. And excited to talk more with you guys about all of that. Definitely, thank you. Um, so to jumpstart our conversation, I'd like to ask you, what made you want to significantly uh, socially contribute to the various communities that you've already you know, been in contact or in relation with so far? Yeah. Um, I'm sure you hear it a lot, but for me, it was very, it was a lived experience, uh, experience that I personally faced. And, um, you know, more so as I got older, I realized that I faced those challenges uh, from a position of privilege as well. So most people uh, experience this, experience these challenges from worse places than where I was. So uh, I was incarcerated at a young age. Um, I watched my parents get divorced. Uh, I was kind of surrounded by drugs. And by the time I was 18, I was uh, sentenced uh, to prison for over a year and uh, came home from prison in 2012 with two felony convictions. And what I saw was just how much a mistake can change your life forever in such a way that's just really not healthy for anyone. It's not healthy for the person that made the mistake. It's not healthy for, healthy for businesses. It's not healthy for neighborhoods. It's just, it's, it, it's bad policy uh, not just government policy, but HR policy, even just down to the individual people in our communities that don't really understand uh, a different community's challenges, like someone for, I, I work mostly with people who have criminal histories, but it's so dramatic, the stigma that so many people have in their head versus if you know someone, if you have a loved one that's experienced it, you know, a lot of those stigmas don't hold true. Uh, to, to so many people in this country who have been affected by it. And after experiencing it firsthand, um, it made me want to get more involved. And when I started getting more involved, I also realized that it's not just people uh, in the prisons and coming out, but also oftentimes you can predict that a kid will end up in prison because the social situations they're in, like literacy, access to good education, access to uh, 
things like social services and, and just a stable home life. So I've even done a little bit of work going into like middle schools and stuff, but I mostly work with people uh, post uh, incarceration or while they're in incarcerated. And really, like I said, it was out of personal experience that I struggled so hard to overcome. But then once I had overcome it, I realized like I had so much privilege as a white male with a good education and a support system that it was such an unjust system. I, I wanted to contribute more. And that's why I've been doing this for the last three years. Well, thank you so much, um, you know, from the bottom of my heart. And I feel like many other people thank you for for that kind of impact that you're having in, in today's society. Because like you said, it's a stigma that people have. It's a misconception that these people, you know, might just be, they just have a rough start or they're just in a rough situation. But it's something that we kind of need to talk more about, um, be more exposed to. We have to derive away from this like social stigma and, and actually give opportunity where opportunity is most needed. So thank you for opening that door for everyone who, who needs that door to be opened. And something that I, I admire a lot of, uh, of your story is the fact that you see a problem and then you see there, there were a lack of opportunities, but you created your own opportunity. That's something that I truly believe that there are no closed, if there are closed doors, you build your own door. Like that's something that I, like, I truly believe in and, and you did it. And I'm very, very happy that you did that. And I'm, I'm more interested in learning about what honest jobs is. How does it work? Um, how was it to start that company from, from the bottom ground? I mean, it, that, I'm, I'm assuming that's, that was very challenging. So I don't know if you can give us a little bit of background on how it started, how is it going? And um, what well, basically what honest jobs do and how does it work? Like, is it a software? Is it a platform? Um, how does that work? So I'll warn you, this could be an hour long talk in itself. So <laughs> I'm going to give you the very short version. It was very hard, but uh, would not trade the journey for anything. I learned so much. I connect with so many amazing people, saw a lot of painful situations and found opportunities where I could plug in my little bit of expertise and talent and passion to solve something for somebody and that's evolved a lot over time. So uh, in late 2018, I quit my job to help people coming out of prison learn the skills they need to find a job. And I had an online platform where they could take eight online classes taught by formerly incarcerated people that would teach them how to rebuild credit, get into college, how to find your first job, how to get, a, get an apartment. These are all things that this population struggle with. But what I found was there wasn't really a scalable, sustainable business model behind it. How would I reach millions of people? I, I didn't want to do a nonprofit. I really wanted to not uh, use tax dollars either. I wanted to figure out how to do, do this sustainably. Uh, and after doing that for maybe three months, I surveyed all of my people who were taking the classes. And what I found was they really needed meaningful connections to employment. That's really what they were there for. Uh, so I built a very simple job board using kind of like a out of the box software, you could pay 50 bucks a month and make it look the way you want it to look. And I started connecting with employers here in Columbus, Ohio, where I live. And very quickly, I talked to half a dozen people and a company wrote me a $500 check. And they said, send us people right out of prison. If they're ready to work, we'll give them a job. And that just got me so excited. Uh, and I started working all day, every day, figuring out how I can get more employers to do this. And how am I going to find the people who need the jobs the most? And I embarked on a journey to do that. And about a month later, I met a uh, investor at a bar. Ironically, I don't drink, but I was at a, a little brewery and I met an investor and he told me his son had been arrested. 
and his, he was very wealthy white, a very wealthy white man working in finance. And he was able to pay to have his son basically not go to jail not get convicted. He just beat the, beat the charge. And he said, my son got the same conviction you did, except for you went to prison for 14 months and he didn't even get probation. So I see a big problem here and, and I, and I know it. And from a position of wealth and privilege, he decided to give me a hundred thousand dollars investment in my business. And that gave me the opportunity to find a co-founder who had technical skills and spend the next year of my life uh, just figuring out how we were going to make it work. And, you know, we did so many awesome things. We traveled the country, went to HR conferences everywhere, spoke to probation, parole, prisons, figured out uh, all the challenges from both sides of the equation. And now what we have is uh, we are now a company of seven full-time employees and an intern uh, we have over 9,000 formerly incarcerated people that use our system. We have over 350 companies that use our system. And to summarize this question, what we are is we are a fair chance employment platform, just like an indeed.com, except for we specialize in helping companies tap into this demographic in a way that helps both of them uh, reduce friction is what I call it. Reducing the friction It's very complicated. Um, there's almost... 28 million people with a felony in America. So it's almost 9% of the U.S. workforce. And it, on average, it takes them eight and a half months to find a job after incarceration. So it's this massive number of people who are locked out of the workforce. And that's money directly being extracted from the poorest communities. So how can we help them get back into the workforce quickly so that money can flow back into their communities? And we have built this platform but really it's a job search compatibility algorithm. I've spent a while trying to figure out how to describe it. When, <laughs> it is, when you have a criminal record, there are real jobs that you aren't a great fit for sometimes. And then there are millions of jobs that you're a great fit for. But what happens is oftentimes people coming home from jail and prison don't know what the right jobs are. Most people don't know. Only HR professionals and, and, and lawyers might know. But what we've done is we've worked to collect over 50,000 data points that are state and federal laws, equal opportunity employment commission guidelines, and HR best practices. And that algorithm, when you search for a job in El Paso, if you have a grand theft charge, it'll, it knows that you have a grand theft charge and it determines what jobs to show you uh, in what order to show you those jobs based on your convictions, the state and federal laws, and all the other data points I told you about. And with the whole goal is to reduce the re number of rejections you face. We wanna get you into a job as quickly as possible. We believe that in what we call the ABCs is you need to get a job and then immediately get a better job and then find your career. And we don't wanna teach people they should hop from job to job, but once you have any job, you can then start looking for a better job. Uh, and our software is really meant to help people find the first job and then help them get to a better job. And then maybe down the road, we'll focus on getting people to careers. But right now we see eight and a half months of no one, no employment at all is a big problem that we can address with our software. And we've been doing that for the last year and it's been awesome. That's amazing. The ABC. Wow. That, that really, that really struck me now. That's very creative, very creative. It, it perfectly encompasses what you're saying, but do you, what are the challenges for the employers? How do you communicate with employers um, this, this bridge and how do you convince them to be part of your platform or to relax their policies for when it comes to hiring or HR? How do you convince them about that? Because we were, uh, Elisa and I researching some data and we found very interesting data on how uh, a lot of the charges are not really 
uh, very big charges of incarcerated. The people are incarcerated. I think more than half are in probation. They're not really on on uh, on the actual prison. So how does that work? Getting the employers to hire this empl- all of these uh, potential employees. Yeah. So if we can get their time and attention, the executive level time and attention, it's actually not that hard. Uh, there is the facts and data are out there. And if you dig enough or you talk long enough with someone like myself who spent the time learning about it, there really isn't that much risk. There's really more reward than there is risk. I won't say there's no risk, there's always risk. People who don't have felonies sometimes commit felonies. And you, if you hire someone without a felony, doesn't mean they won't ever commit a crime in their future. But what we do is we show them what already exists. There's a lot of really credible research that universities have done, that the government's done, that shows that these people, when given a second chance, are more loyal. So you see better retention rates. In fact, the military, the largest employer in the country, did a study that found that not only are they more loyal, but they're promoted quicker and more often. And that is impressive. We haven't seen a lot of research like that, but the fact that the military saw that means that these people when given a position where they feel honor and they feel like they're doing something important and they know this employer knows my background, but they've invested in me, they immediately reward employers with loyalty. Of course, it's not every single case, but what we see is aggregated. The data shows that this population is more loyal. And then uh, the other thing is, is that as a small business, right, we've been around for almost two and a half years. We didn't actually have to have a sales team. We've never had a sales team. Companies come to us. I said 350 companies, maybe 50 of them were companies where I reached out to them and convinced them to come work with us. Most of the time it's inbound. Uh, I got invited to the White House because of the work I've done. I've been invited to speak at conferences because of my book and the work we're doing. The word has spread and that's really powerful for a startup or a small company. The word of mouth spread is so valuable and it goes to show that there's over 300 companies that we're aware of who were already knowledgeable about the reality, which is you can hire these people. You have to do a little digging to convince your peers who may not be knowledgeable on the topic. But once you've shown everyone the data and, and talked about it, the truth is, is companies are scared of what are my employees going to think? What are my customers going to think? Your employees and your customers know formerly incarcerated people. And that's really important to have that conversation because your employees and customers most likely will value the fact that you're a socially conscious employer and that you've chosen to take a, a stance on an issue that is leaning in favor of the work we're doing more and more so every day. Uh, people know, especially people of color who have been over-policed and over-incarcerated for such a long time, this is a, a actionable way that companies can invest in racial justice and equity, as well as find really valuable and loyal employees. Okay, well... Wow. I mean, I'm just struck by the numbers, right? You said 29 million people, that's 9% of the workforce here in the U.S. What is it like to work with this demographic? What is your everyday life look like? Um, so I guess like at a personal level, is it is it a friendly um, conversation that you have with the majority of people, professional, or is it a challenging one? That's something that I've been wondering. Yeah, so for yeah. most of will come to our website, they create an account and they interact with our service without us actually talking to them. So many people, right? If you go to a website like LinkedIn or Indeed and you apply for a job, you're not really talking to anybody at LinkedIn. You might talk to the employer once they review your resume. For the most part, that's us. Uh, we, have, we probably interact with one out of 10 or one out of seven people who create an account. 
on some level. They'll call us, we call them. Sometimes they'll get a job interview and we'll help them prepare. But a lot, it's meant to be a t kind of uh, on its own service so that we can scale, right? There's 28 million people. We're trying to figure out how do we service all of them cost efficiently. Uh, but what I can tell you is we are a team of seven full-time people and five of us have a felony conviction. Six of us have been arrested and we are a fast growing company. We just got a $1.2 million investment. Uh, we are solving a real problem and we're doing it super efficiently. I mean, we have spent very little money to make this happen. Uh, our, soft, our entire software development team have felony convictions and it goes to show that we practice what we preach and then we haven't had any incidents. Guess what? The people we hired, some of them have crimes that most people would not want to hire. And we have seen nothing but good work and loyalty out of, out of the people we hired. And I can also tell you that we've helped 9,000 people. And I think I've gotten one email from somebody where they were like, telling, like saying something inappropriate. Most of the time you are getting respect uh, and people wanting to work. You, as long as you're willing to meet them where they are and understand they may not have the education you have, they may not have the resources you have, but that doesn't mean that they're not capable of, of their potential in the workplace. And, and, you know, if you have a good heart, it's very easy to see that once you talk to a few people that there's a lot of value to be gained by working with them. Great, great. Wow. This, this is all music to my ears. This is such a wonderful um, project and initiative. Well, company now. It's a company, not a project. It's a company. That's wonderful. And the, um, what I'm thinking right now, um, as you're talking, and I, want, I wonder what's, what's a story that's, uh, that has impacted you the most from this, either an employer or an or a employee that you found was very interesting. Like, I, for me, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm very ignorant in this, in this topic. So I want to know, like, how I, I know how, how it has impacted you, but you, you even mentioned that it came from a, a position of privilege, your position, your experience. What um, experiences have you, have you noted from one of your um, users that have helped him or her to achieve a goal or a career? Um, can you share with us a story that you've uh, learned? I sure can. Um, I'm happy to. Um, so about six months ago, I got a notification and it it's funny as we had our business up for about a year and a half before we got our first review on Google. Uh, about six <laughs> months ago, I got a notification from Google that says, hey, you got a review on Google. And I was like, oh, this should be interesting. I want to see what somebody said about us because, you know, we're an online service. I, I didn't, I had never reviewed anything on Google. So I opened it up and I'm going to read to you the quote verbatim while you were asking the question, I pulled it up. Uh, a woman gave us a five-star review, which it was completely unsolicited, but she said, it's a, it's a bit, but I think it's valuable. She said, um, in 2015, I was convicted of involuntary manslaughter. I took drugs and wrecked my vehicle, went to prison for uh, involuntary manslaughter and aggravated trafficking. That's because she had drugs in her car and in her system when she was got the wreck. And it says, after I got out of prison, I applied everywhere I could. Employers would bring me in for interviews and I always was upfront, honest about my background. They'd all turned me away because of my convictions. A friend sent me a link to Honest Jobs and I was hired and I was hired by the very first company I applied for. I've been a patient service representative with Quantum Health since August, 2019. I've already had one pay raise and will be up for another soon. Honest Jobs has changed my life in so many ways. I know what a great job 
sorry, I now have a great job and I love my life. I even bought a house. Sorry, the, the text is a little choppy, but it's like verbatim. Um, I bought a house. I feel so much more confident. Like my past doesn't matter. I know that I can accomplish anything all because someone gave me a shot. Let me prove my worth and believed in me despite my background. Honest job paved the way for, to make all of this happen. So you can imagine reading that in real time. I just get a little notification. I open it. I read that. And almost like I got emotional because I was like, it's so rare that we get to hear someone tell that whole journey like to you. Like uh, people will say, oh, yeah, I got hired. Thank you so much. But this woman really articulated the pain that she felt, the struggle she went through and what it really meant to her um, to, to just get that opportunity. And, um, you know, if you go to Google and type in honest jobs, it's still the only Google review we have, but we're very proud of it. We're very oh, proud yeah. of it. So we have, That's an amazing review. <laughs> was written about us and things like that, but it was our first and only Google review, but it was so powerful. And then we reached out to her and talked to her and she said she was happy with us for us using it in like materials and stuff as when we talk to employers, because employers want to hear, they need to feel it before they're willing to make changes in the policy. Even if the data is there, if they don't feel it in their heart, it, it, the change is uh, slow to come. Definitely. This is like a very significant um, platform for those people who just need just a little bit of hope, a little bit of faith, like, you know, does wonders. Um, and so I'm assuming that like the hiring policies that um, you've encountered can be very challenging at times. I, I'm, I'm totally assuming right now. Um, but if this is true, um, what has been your journey to overcome the, the difficult hiring policies? Yeah, it, it's definitely a challenge, right? It's, it's like the, one of the biggest challenges and it's why the problem is so pronounced is because what we found when we talked to hundreds of employers uh, from all over the country, HR people and hiring managers alike is they oftentimes don't know what their policy is. They really don't know. Most of the time they're like, I, I'll have to look into it. So what, what happens is someone with a record applies and they're like, let me think back to my class I took on this. I have to go through a formal legal process. That's the first thing they think of is I need to go through a formal legal process where we document how we're gonna handle this. But what immediately happens is in their head, they go, I have to do more work now. If I'm gonna consider this candidate, it puts more work on my plate because I have to go through formal legal processes. If I hire them, I better have covered my butt because if I make a mistake and I hire them, it's me that's in trouble. But so, so think about that. They see, oh, I could hire someone with a record. I probably don't know my policy to the T, so I'm gonna to have to review the policy. And then if I wanna hire them, I have to, it's like a strenuous task that like could get me in trouble if I do it wrong. And I'm not saying that every HR manager is incapable of doing that, but what I'm saying is um, it's problematic that we put all these barriers on HR when oftentimes um, HR isn't very close to the problem of actually interviewing. So oftentimes a hiring manager interviews you, but HR is three degrees disconnected from them. So it's very hard to get everyone on the same page. What's our policy? Who can we hire and who can we not? So that's why we see this huge inefficiency is it's what, like I was saying, it's friction in the process is everyone doesn't, everyone's not on the same page. So it doesn't happen smoothly. So what we try to do is we try to talk to leadership because leadership is key. Uh, once, you know, once leadership's bought in, then we can, we can move down through the organization. Um, but th the other thing is, is 
this is not a protected class. People with criminal histories are not protected under the law uh, from discrimination. So companies are legally allowed to say, we don't hire people with criminal records, anybody. Now, my argument, you know, the counter argument to that is HR knows better. They, they can't actually do that in practice because so many people of color have records that it's, I think it's called disparaged impact. It would have a invertly negative impact on the data of how many people of color they hire. So they, they can't actually do that, but they are allowed to say it. If they get audited though, and they've been practicing that, if they're a big company that really doesn't hire people with records, they're always liable for it, uh, for disparaged impact, for discrimination against people of color. Because like I told you earlier, or I, I don't know if I said it earlier, but one in 17 white men have a felony, one in three black men have a felony. And it's so unfair and unjust that hiring managers, if they say we won't hire felons, if it's a Fortune 500 company that says we don't hire felons, they're pretty much automatically discriminating against people of color because that's unfortunately how disproportionate the impact has been on people of color. So we can come to them with lots of knowledge. We need senior, senior buy-in. And basically we just need a commitment that we're gonna sit down and talk about it. Legal, HR and senior leadership need to sit down and decide we're gonna update our policy right now because Nine times out of 10, the last time they updated their HR policy on criminal histories was the last time they had to because some law changed. And it's not because they're just, it's something that they're thinking about often. Um, and I'm not an HR person, so I'm sure plenty of HR people might hear this and disagree with some things I said, but this is what I've seen over the last two and a half years. And wow. Yeah, completely agree with you. That's, that's an, uh, an important aspect to be equitable when it comes to hiring practices. And for someone like me or Alyssa or who are listeners, what would be a good way for us to support fair employment? Um, of course, I'm not a leadership in, my, in the company where I work. What would you suggest that I can do to support this to be more equitable? Should I go to the HR department and ask about the policies? What do you suggest we, a citizen that would like to um, help with this should do? Absolutely. So I think once you have some knowledge and some insights, you're more likely to be willing to talk about it and share it. So like you said, anyone who's listening to this has it as a reference, talk to one of the hiring managers or the HR people and say, hey, I heard this really cool podcast about this. Did you know that 9% of the US workforce has a felony? Do you, and then if they're like, wow, I didn't realize there was that much, say, do you, do you really know our, our company's hiring policy? Not, not to like point out to them, hey, you should have known it, but to say like, you know what it is? I'd be curious to know if we're able to hire them because uh, I didn't realize it was such a big population. Just starting the conversation is enough because once people talk about it and they realize, oh, wow, 9%. Wow. Like if you're ever struggling to find people, then that's a clear way to open up the gates to more potential applicants. I think that's a great way to, to, to start the conversation with your company. And then if you want to support us, of course, uh, telling people about our website sharing the content that we post on social and on LinkedIn. It's not always promoting us. A lot of times we're talking about legislation or a new initiative a company did. Our content just is meant to expose people to the uh, kind of non-normal narrative that is these people are actually good people and they have value and they can do a lot of good in the world. Definitely. Thank you. Yeah, um, for sure. Honest Jobs is something that I'm going to be sharing um, on my platforms. Um, and I mean, as in, 
In addition to what we've already covered, right, um, and talking to, having that conversation of awareness of the policies with hiring managers, for example, uh, what, is there like any books that, or workshops or videos that you've come across that have um, been significant to you that you'd like to recommend to our audience? Yeah, so I, I don't know that I know of a book that is like great at teaching you about how you should work with this population to support them. I don't know that I have a book on that topic. Maybe that's my next my next venture that I go after is writing that book. Um, but what I can tell you is visiting a jail or prison, particularly a prison, is is a profound experience, especially if you go in uh, to teach GED classes or to run a Bible study or to do a workshop. There are opportunities in most uh, states to go into prisons with um, organizations and volunteer, and it will change your life. I went to multiple prisons. I And one time I went to a prison where they keep all of the youth that are in adult prison here in Ohio. And I went to a facility where there was 29 kids that were all under the age of 18 who were serving long prison sentences. Some of the kids were 15 years old doing 10 years in prison, uh, 15 years in prison. And it really shook me to my core because they were kids. Like they were just kids and they were all locked in cages waiting to get out when they're 25 or 30 years old. And that's why we call it fair chance employment, not second chance employment is because some of these have a chance in the beginning. Talk to a kid who is uh, 16 years old who was in there because he beat a man who was beating his mom and he paralyzed the guy. And they said that that was aggravated assault and gave him, I think six or seven years in prison when he was 16 years old. And uh, anyways, visiting and seeing it firsthand and talking to people, you'll realize that it's not what TV makes it out to be, especially American television is very good at making everything scary and violent. And people aren't like that naturally and neither are the people behind bars. And the last thing I'll say is um, there is a class you can take uh, that SHRM, the Society for Human Resource Management, it's completely free. It's a SHRM class called Getting Talent Back to Work. And it teaches you how to effectively hire people with criminal histories. Uh, obviously, you can come to our site and we can help you, but that is a free resource from the world's largest HR organization that it's very good. I've taken it. Our entire company is certified. We've taken that class and got certified and I would highly recommend it. Thank you. Yeah, I that is great, great advice. I kind of already took it. Um, I did visit a prison once and that's what I think made me like aware of, of what's going on and, and how kind of messed up certain things are for everyone. So that's where my, I guess, background in, in my interest to, to getting to want to talk to you and, and just learn more about this and share with other people what we can do as a community, you know, come together and like, actually help in in different ways you know be it if we're just a, a normal citizen or a hiring manager like what what is it that we can do to start contributing to this demographic when i was in college i ran a business book school uh, a, a book drive at college and i had the mba students and the undergrad students put all donate books it had to be a business book donate books and i got like 150 business books. Like, I don't know if you guys read business books, but some really good business books that I read 60 books while I was in prison and it changed my life. Cause before that I was, I was an addict. 
I had no interest in intellectual things, but after I read a couple books, it opened my mind. So that was something where I got all these MBA students and undergraduate students to participate and help this population. And they even, we, we did, some of us went on a trip to the prison to drop off the books and met some people. And it, it, it you know, it, they didn't have to pay any money. They didn't have to spend that much time. They just donated to a cause and probably changed some people's lives. So I'm glad you got that opportunity. And I, I hope more people, I know a lot of universities across the country have started doing work with prisons and I hope we see more of that. Wow. There's so much that we can do. And now you're, you're opening my mind now more like now, now I want to start doing, uh, I would like to organize a book drive for that um, to a local prison here. But Harley, time really flied. <laughs> it really flied in this conversation. It was truly a learning experience. I learned a lot. And this is very eye-opening for me as well to have this conversation to someone who has experienced this um, situation and made something to change that. And it's currently doing something to change that. But I'm very, very happy and honored to have you here. We truly wish you the best uh, for this company. You can always count on us on whatever we can offer you as a podcast, but we are here for whatever you need. And But before we let you go, we want to squeeze your brain one more, once more and we want you to just let us know what final advice or thoughts would you give to anyone who are our listeners? Anything you would like our listeners to stay from this conversation, like a summary of what are the, the core thing of this whole um, topic that you would like our listeners to have? Sure. Uh, just to reiterate, we help anyone in the country with a criminal history find employment fast. And then we can work with your company And we can also work uh, with government. So we actually have a, a contract there in Texas with a, with a county. We're now working with two other states. Uh, we can really help anyone learn about this topic and how they can contribute. If you're interested, you can reach out at www.honestjobs.co. So it's honestjobs.co. And, and the last thing I want to do is a piece of advice because I actually think it's very interesting and related to your podcast. And it relates to the last question about books is I have a book to recommend. I'm, I'm reading it now, I'm on the last chapter. So I for, forgive me if there's something awful in the very last chapter that I haven't read yet, but the book is called Believe in People. And it's really about a lot of social uh, issues and how social entrepreneurs and social enterprises can, you know, we need to support bottom-up approaches to big problems, not top-down approaches. And I think grassroots organizations, local community efforts are really an important part of that. So investing in your local community. Look, we don't have to solve mass incarceration overnight. We just help one person in our community. And the book is called Believe in People. Uh, it's an excellent book. Highly recommend it by Brian Hooks and Charles Cope.